0: Somebody could make a fortune if they invented one of these masks with closed caption digital writing on it so we could understand each other. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Thank oh. You. Wow. You're all wired up and ready to go, raring to go. Well, God bless you and glad you're here. God has given me a message of hope for you, a message of thanksgiving and encouragement, and I hope it is Uh, that for you today. I know it will be, Um, especially, you know, in these days when there's so much bad news and frustration and right-wing and left-wing and artificially produced conflict. It's easy to lose our joy. It's easy to lose our peace. But we must not lose our thanksgiving. We must not. Uh, the Bible stresses that our Thanksgiving is, is very much connected to how we view our God. And in particular, Paul, in fact, warns the Romans, in Romans chapter one, verse 24, that a loss of gratitude begins a slide into darkness, into a very bad place and into an uh, uh, ongoing spiral of, of uh, bad, a, ba- a bad situation. So today we want to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, because in it, Paul is writing to a people in central Turkey um, in Colossae, and he's writing from prison in Rome probably, uh, maybe around AD 62. A report has come to him from Epaphras that there are some people trying to uh, speak into the minds of the The early church, the brand new church, heretical ideas about Jesus. And so he writes this amazing letter to clarify the the supremacy of Christ in all things and and who Christ really is. And it's instructive to us that he begins this letter with uh, uh, an emphasis on prayer and thanksgiving. And I want to draw your attention to that this morning. Here to these people, he makes this interesting connection between prayer and thanksgiving, almost a circular connection, whereby thanksgiving engenders God's people to go to prayer, and prayer engenders God's people to thank God. And there's a a momentum that builds from that. In fact, if you find yourself uh, struggling with thanksgiving, it's possible that maybe you're not engaging in prayer. Because in prayer, We are taken into the very rest of Jesus Christ, into the very presence of Christ. And when we're in the presence of Christ and we recognize who he is and what he has done for us, it's impossible for us not to allow our hearts to to soar with thanksgiving. And when our hearts soar with thanksgiving, we actually want to go back and spend more time with Jesus in prayer because it is the language of thanksgiving is really prayer, And and so, Paul, I want to show you what he does here in the text. In verse 3, he says here, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In fact, in the New American Standard, it says, we give thanks to God, praying for you, and then uh, later on in the text, "And praying, we are joyfully thankful. And so, you can see this connection he makes. I I want to... focus our attention really on three verses this morning, actually verses 12, 13, and 14. But I'm going to start reading at verse 9 so we pick up some of the uh, context and have continuity with what he's saying. So with your Bibles open, please look at Colossians 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us if we, if we arrive today at your word a little discouraged, a little confused. Uh, a little conflicted, um, struggling with this Thanksgiving weekend uh, the way that we had hoped it could be or would be, and it isn't. I, I pray, O oh God, that from the, from the richness of your word impacted upon our lives through the Holy Spirit, that you would lift our hearts, with this encouragement to us of who we are, who Christ is, what we have, and that, Lord, we may not leave here the same way we came, that we may leave here joyfully thankful, rejoicing in what you've done for us and what we have, O oh Lord. I pray, pray that you might be pleased just to lift up your people, just encourage our hearts. We need it, Lord. and We know you're a merciful and kind God, and you know what we need. And I pray, Father, that this will be A real highlight to us this morning, as we uh, rehearse again what we probably already know, but but maybe it's been buried under layers of of frustration. So lift it out this morning. I pray, Father, you remove all obstacles, and we'll pay attention to what you have for us, the good news you have for us today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. Paul, you know, Paul is writing from prison. It's highly possible from his perspective that his days may be winding down you'd never know it though when you read his letter i mean this is an amazing letter that he has written that it's very upbeat very positive very encouraging very dependent on the lord very convinced of the greatness of jesus christ and he writes this to us so i just want to this morning very quickly share three reasons to be joyful to joyfully give thanks to the father because of what he has done for us. And, um, and the first is this. It's found in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The first reason that we are to be ecstatically thankful is as God's people, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are qualified, you have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we're gonna look, we're gonna unpack what that inheritance really looks like, but I don't know about you, but when I, uh, when I read a line like that, I'm qualified to share in an inheritance, I kinda get a little bit excited. I don't know uh, whether this has ever happened to you, but I, it's never happened to me. I've never ever received a letter that said, congratulations, you qualify for an inheritance. All of my ancestors have died pretty much poor and left me nothing. And uh, that seems to be the way it is. I'm just waiting for my day. I've heard of all kinds of people. You don't get these letters. Congratulations, Uncle Harry died and left you $100,000. Where's my inheritance? I'm waiting for mine. But anyway, when I read this, I realize, wait a second. I have an inheritance. An inheritance is of inheritances, and I hope as you look at this, you will realize what we have. In fact, let's first of all understand who qualifies for the inheritance. The people of this inheritance are set apart by the grace of God his favor, to be favored for salvation. It talks about saints here, right? The saints, inheritance of the saints. Am I a saint? Are you a saint? Yes we are, if we know Jesus Christ, saint simply means set apart by God for his purposes. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are a saint, so you have an inheritance because of this. Now this Christ's death on the cross of Calvary has, uh, was a su- sufficient sacrifice to enable anyone to come into the kingdom of God but relatively, a relatively small number of people uh, have been made qualified. Do I qualify? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You're all smart. Out there. You all look like doctors this morning anyway. You're, you know this. You know what it means. If we confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, the true God of gods, and believe that God has raised him from the dead, he died for our sins, was buried, rose again, then it says in the word of God you'll be saved. And you are a saint and entitled to this inheritance. Well, what is this inheritance? This inheritance is an invitation into the family of God. Is that all it is? I, I mean, that's a great thing, isn't it? Isn't it great to be part of a great, grand family, a grand international family of people who love Jesus Christ and, and, uh, and we're part of that family? But, but it's more than that, and to be in line for all of the holdings of the creator, owner of the universe. Have you ever thought about that? Word of God says, um, Well, maybe I'll just ask you the question. I mean, what does that mean? How much does God own? You tell me. He owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything you see, that Maserati that drives by you on the street, that that, that, that belongs to God. The stuff you look around, you see all of it belongs to God. That belongs to my father. I look around, that belongs to my father. And according to his word, I'm promised an inheritance from the Lord God of glory, who is the creator and owner of the entire universe. Now, when the Jews read something like this, their thoughts kind of were were, uh, focused on the allotment of land. And, And for good reason. Because when they thought inheritance from God... The Inheritance would be the apportionment of land that they would get. In fact, in the scriptures, it tells that. Numbers 18.20, Deuteronomy 10.9. In fact, in Joshua, from Joshua 13.1 to Joshua 19.51, it's talking all about the allotment of land. And the Jews thought not only was the allotment of land the inheritance, and it was, of course, but that they thought that inheritance was exclusively theirs. But the word of God is assuring us here that this invitation to the family of God and this promised inheritance is for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It's our inheritance, the fullness of it. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This inheritance is ours. But as we think about this, this reality, uh, rather than think of the material things with respect to this, this inheritance is more about a place as opposed to things. And in fact, that's why the text says, inheritance of the saints in, and in the kingdom is added, but in light. The the original language says, the inheritance of the saints in light light. Now, what's that mean? Well, when we think about in light, it, it really is describing the Lord of glory. When uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says of God, um, God uh, dwells in inapproachable light. In, in Malachi 4.2, in the prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ, it talks about the son of righteousness who will rise with healing on his wings The description, of course, is the brightness of God and who He is. Where Jesus is, is the place of the inheritance. Where Jesus is. Now, that doesn't mean that all that God has isn't going to be our inheritance, because it is. But the great and richness of this inheritance is that it is Jesus Christ, and we are placed in Him. Our hearts used to be in darkness, but now we have been placed as saints. In light, and light refers to, of course, goodness and truth as opposed to evil and falsehood. We've been lifted into a different reality because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, it goes on that's the first reason, but the second reason it goes on to say here, You've been qualified to share in this inheritance because, verse 13, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You've been rescued. You and I, if we know Jesus Christ, we've been rescued from the domain or the authority or the dominion of darkness. We formally uh, were, were under the dominant authority and power of darkness. We did not have any resources in our lives at all to come out from underneath the authority of darkness and evil and wickedness and lies, but we have been rescued. This darkness that's being referred to as this opportunistic um, uh, reality of sinister forces. Satan and his sinister forces that are at work mobilizing their agenda to oppose the things of God and his church. If you want to understand what is going on, I think I'm repeating myself, but if you want to understand what is going on. And you're wondering, you're bewildered and saying, How can this be? What? This doesn't make sense. Things are. It is the unleashing of sinister forces under the dominion and domain and authority of darkness at war with the things of God and His church. That's why the Bible tells us we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's not about the people, it's about the forces and powers and dominion of darkness that is actually performing the puppetry of the people and what they're doing to bring, a fo- bring forth sinister agendas opposed to God. Uh, Jesus referred to this when he was arrested. In fact, in uh, Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus and take him to Calvary, take him to the cross, In verse 53, he states this, Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Now, God is all-powerful, omnipotent over all things, sovereign over all things that take place. But it was according to God's good purposes that He chose to give a sacrifice that we might have salvation. But He employed the forces of evil to haul away and do a wicked thing to Jesus Christ under the dominion and domain and authority of darkness. That's why Jesus declared what was really happening. In other words, Jesus, and he said in other places, I, I, could have, I could have called a legion of angels if I had have wanted to because I, the Lord of glory, am absolutely in control. But I've given over this hour to the darkness to accomplish the purposes of God. But we as God's people have been rescued from the authority of that darkness by our salvation in Jesus Christ. Formerly, we were ethically, theologically in darkness, unable to welcome the truth. We were uh, we were dupes to liars, dupes to manipulators, dupes to experts. That's who we were, but now we are not. We. Um, we lived a, a life uh, not dissimilar to the, that movie, The Matrix, where the choice of taking the red pill or the blue pill. And, and that's the, sort of the medicine of sinners, the red pill being unpleasant truth, the blue pill being blissful ignorance. Which one do you want to pick? Which do you want to choose? It seems that our world has, for the most part, picking, picked the blue pill of blissful ignorance. And unwilling to pay attention to the truth. Under the dominion of absurdity is how people are living. Forced to believe that white is black and black is white. In spite of what is abundantly clear and obvious to we who live in the light. This is the same context that people who would seize the Lamb of Glory, the only hope of their rescue, and seek to kill him, seek to do away with him. It's it's illogical, absurd that anybody would choose to do that. We formerly were under the bondage of the Prince of Darkness, living in fear all the time. Second Chron- Chronicles or Second Corinthians, sorry, eleven fourteen, um, talks about him, the evil one, masquerading as an angel of light, to seek to attract those who are weak and undisciplined, and allowing their relationship with God to slip. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis talks about this whole reality as being in Narnia, where it's always winter, but never Christmas. I mean, we all know here in Canada that the reward for winter is Christmas. Now, some of you think it's Florida, but it's really Christmas. But in fact, the majority of people, because of this darkness that we've been rescued from, uh, were under the spell of this dominion of the liar. In, in, under the authority of the liar, in John, uh, eight forty four, Jesus talks about you speak your, the native language of your father, who is a liar, has been a liar from the beginning. So it shouldn't surprise us that that the vast majority of people who we uh, intersect with are are living under the dominion of lies. But we have been rescued from that. An exciting news flash for, for, for us is that we have been taken out of this. Are you, are you living as if you're rescued from the dominion of darkness? Rather than constantly being milkshake-ducked. Milkshake-ducked, I'm not sure if you know that. That's, that's the, the reality of what's going on over and over again. The, 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 term, the term began in 2017 to describe and it pictured the, this lovely duck that learned how to drink milkshakes and everybody's all excited about this duck and this duck became their hero and they were very, they put it on a pedestal. Oh, look at this great duck. And then they found out five minutes later that the duck was a racist and everything everything crumbled. That's kind of the life we're living right now. People are, are building on a foundation of lies, a foundation of, uh, of and, and, and everyone's clamoring to them. Oh, look at this person. This person's going to be our hero. This ideology is going to be our ideology. It's going to be our agenda. And then we find uh, within a week or two weeks that there's something drastically wrong with that person or dramatically wrong with that ideology. And people of the world are running from here here to there and all over the place, trying to find something that's, that's right, that's believable, that can, you can last with and, and, and will co- be constant and, and you can depend upon it. And, and the truth of the matter is, until you're rescued from the dominion of darkness, the dominion of lies, the authority and powers over all of this, this murkiness, you will never, ever be satisfied and settled. But we, Happy Thanksgiving, have been rescued from that. And finally, the third, the third reason, it says here, you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into, notice at the end of verse 13, the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Through um, the rescue uh, by the King of kings, we have been transferred Literally, by the Father, into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That word that, that states there, brought us into the kingdom, is actually the word transferred. We've been taken from, it's, it's actually a reversal of exile. We, have, we were formerly exiled in the kingdom and dominion of darkness. We have been transferred by Jesus Christ and the work that he's done into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now, think about this for a second what this really means to us. When you think about God the Father and his relationship with God the Son, in in particular his relationship of love toward his Son. I I mean, how would we describe how much God the Father loves his Son? It's infinite, it's it's beyond description. God the Father loves, loves his son, Jesus Christ. The the statement being made here is that when Christ saved you, he brought you into his kingdom, the kingdom of the son that he loves, which means he loves you like he loves his son. When you think about how God the Father loves you as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to think this way. You need to think that God loves you as much as He loves His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's being loved, isn't it? I mean, is there a, a level of love beyond that? There absolutely is not. In fact, in this kingdom that we've been brought into, the charter, the very charter of rights of this kingdom is to be loved by God the Father through with infinite love. That's what the promise is here. Brought, that's why the emphasis. Is. He's brought us into the kingdom. It didn't just say the kingdom of His Son, but brought us into the kingdom of His Son, who He loves. Charter of that kingdom is He loved to be filled with light, and whoever attaches to this family of God becomes the object uh, uh, of this whole other level of love. We are, in being brought into this kingdom, we have changed lordships. Jesus Christ is our Lord in over everything. We've changed kingdoms. We've changed loyalty. We have, because of what Christ has done for us, we've become loyal to one king and one kingdom. I hope you understand what that really means. You don't have to be in conflict you don't have to live in conflict, wondering, should I, be, should I be loyal to this kingdom or loyal to that kingdom? Loyal to this authority or loyal to this authority? This, what this means is you are loyal to one king and to one kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean to say that God hasn't uh, uh, given authority to uh, other levels of, of human reality, because we know that He has. But our single and focused loyalty all the time sh- should not be a conflict for us. Should I be loyal to Jesus or should I be loyal to this? Should I, should I be loyal to the ways of God or should I be loyal to the ways of the world? It, it shouldn't be a conflict for us. We are loyal to Christ and His ways always, which means we've changed places in the matter of authority and power in our lives. We neither fear nor pay homage to any authority but Christ and those doing his bidding. That's why at the commission of the church, Jesus Christ made it abundantly clear in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority is given to me. There's no That's an absolute statement. There's no conflict to a statement like that. And, and Paul, in writing to the Col- Colossians, kind of reminded them of this in terms of the preeminence of Christ. If you look at verse 16 of the same chapter that we're looking at, look at this. For by Him, referring to Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now listen, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and, what's your Bible say? For him. Can I read that again to you? Particularly the part that we probably need to hear right now. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So it makes it easy for us. We line up under Christ and loyal to him. And all of the powers and all of the authorities belong to him and are for him and are expected to lead in favor of him. Makes it easier for us. Now this is huge. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this. This is huge. The last phrase is, in whom we have redemption. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. This is powerful stuff. These are theological words that sometimes, what does that even mean? Because we've been redeemed. I mean, what what has Jesus won for us? He has won redemption for us. We sang a song earlier this this morning. I'm not sure which one it was, but it says something to the effect that the, the barrier the obstacle has been removed. The barrier to God has been permanently removed by Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins were a permanent obstacle between us and God. And all of humanity is in that state. All of humanity. Every single person. Every person that's ever been born has been born with a barrier and an obstacle to a relationship with God. And that barrier and obstacle is sin. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life by shedding his blood and dying on a cross so that legally God could forgive us of our sins and the barrier to our life and God has been removed forever, permanently. That's why anybody who suggests that you can have a relationship with God and bypass Jesus Christ is absolutely 100% wrong and imperils your life. Anybody who teaches that you can be made right with God without a blood sacrifice from Jesus Christ is 100% wrong. I would say 1 million percent wrong if that was actually a reality. That's why in the Word of God it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God couldn't just simply decide, I'm going to take you into my family in spite of, of anything. You know, forget the cross, forget Jesus, all of that. I'm just going to take you into my family because I want to love you. No, it had to go through Jesus. So those who are teaching that you can have a relationship with God and that Jesus' work on the cross was nice but not necessary are are just a thousand million times percent wrong because it was the law of God. This is God's established law that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But as you put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness, God forgives you. And you are permanently placed in his family. You become a saint, rescued from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his dominion to live a life permanently secure in the love of God forever. That's our thanksgiving message in Christ. We have been released from what would damn us to the wrath of God eternally. And if you're watching, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, this is a good moment right now to surrender your life to Christ. To come to him as Lord and Savior of your life. To say, yes, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I recognize that. Or if you're watching online, this is a good time right now to get down on your knees and say, oh God, be merciful to me as sinner. And forgive me because of what Jesus Christ did on a cross of Calvary to, to die and pay for my sins, to, to redeem me, to buy me out of the slave market of sin and darkness. This would be a good moment for that. And then... This forgiveness of sins is not just the removal of guilt from our past sins, but this is a permanent forgiveness of sins. This removes any guilt from us from past sins, from sins that I might make, that I might do today, or sins that I might commit in the future. Now, God has put in place a practice. If we uh, sin, we should confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The cleanses from all unrighteousness. But brothers and sisters, this glorious truth of your security is this. There is never a sin in your past, your present, or your future that will lift you away from the love of God and the presence of God for all eternity if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your sins have been paid for, and you are redeemed, therefore, and saved forever. That's the truth of the gospel. What was impossible to man, in other words, to live a life worthy of God, has been made possible by Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the thanksgiving message that we have to deliver to to one another. All people can do is bring wrath upon themselves. Jesus Christ brings the love of God to us forever that's the truth so your status my status if you know jesus christ like who am i who are you I, I mean the one status that i pretty much love as the greatest one is this i'll tell you who i am loved by god that's who i am and that's who you are if you know jesus christ and there is no greater status than that love by god if god is for me Who can be against me? If God is for you, who can be against you? That's our status in the Lord. Praise God. We are now redeemed. We have joy and light because of him. Father, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that now we uh, turn our attention to the celebration of uh, the table of the Lord and uh, the Lord's sacrifice for us to bring us into this great family your family to have an inheritance because you are our father and we are your children and to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ your son who you love so father we thank you and we praise you for this truth this morning in Jesus name amen and amen